Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, a podcast that asks the hard questions about leadership. Each episode explores the tension or paradox of leadership, asking how founders, entrepreneurs, and scale-up CEOs decide which way to turn. My name is Ian Windle. And I'm Ben Wales. Joining the two of us, we'll have guests, founders and leaders of successful businesses, sharing their stories, as well as authors, keynote speakers, and experts digging into the rough and smooth of leading. If you like what you hear, subscribe and join the club. Tell us your opinion, ask a question, or introduce a guest. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to episode five, titled Under Pressure or Naked Ambition. And Ian, a few weeks ago, when we put this onto the, the running order, we jotted that this is an exploration of how to drive a company and be hags, big, hairy, audacious goals versus incremental stretch. And we also jotted smart goals don't work. But before we get into that, let's do what we normally do. Ian, what's caught your attention? Well, I guess the, uh, the, the audience, and I can say that now, yeah, we're passing through about 300 downloads. That's great. Um, what caught my attention? Well, um, people who have been tuning in will know that I've talked about Michael Jordan before. So I've talked about Netflix. And uh, I'm going to talk about um, another series, actually, on Amazon Prime. So people probably think I just spend all my time watching um, streamed videos and things. But I don't. I can assure you I do other things. But um this is something on Amazon Prime called The World's Toughest Race, which uh, I don't know if you've seen, Ben, but um, no. quite extraordinary. It's fronted by Bear Grylls. I'm not sure if it happens every year or periodically. This one was in Fiji. It's over 11 days. In fact, there's an 11-day cutoff to complete it. Uh, it's the oceans. It's the jungles. It's the rivers. It's the rocks. It's the waterfalls all across Fiji. Um, 10 episodes, 66 teams of five people. These teams are comprised of people who have done Iron Man, they're ex-Navy SEALs. There were some twins from India who, uh, uh, by the age of 23, these these girls had climbed Everest and the seven peaks around the world. I mean, these are extreme people. And they've got to be in teams of five, and they set off. Oh, I should say, there was another team there of everyone in the team over 60, so that gives me hope. Uh, there was another one with a chap who had gone on it with his father, who was who was an amen, amazing adventure racer, and his father had Parkinson's, and he was he was coaching him round the course, which was the course is extraordinary. And what just struck me was well, several things really: the resilience and grit shown by people doing this, this mind over matter of people who had broken bones, bashed heads. One team had trench foot, would you believe? There was a guy with heat stroke and the rest of the team were literally pulling this person along through the jungle. And if one person can't make it, the team are out. And there were several occasions where you saw where the camera was really clearly very interested because uh, somebody had a really bad gash on their leg or they were hobbling and the team was saying, we're going to quit because we, we just can't do it. And the guy or the girl was saying, no, I'm going to continue. So the amazing resilience versus no 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 this is about life life is more important and when they were interviewing people of course it was all about what i'm learning about myself as a human being how i'm developing how i understand that this is about 
discovering more about who I am. It reminded me of Angela Duckworth's TED Talk about resilience and her explanation of that. Her definition is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. And I think you could see these guys are really driven. They've got long-term goals. These guys are, are doing amazing things with their lives and they're driven to pursue these things. But it was just the human nature of it probably struck me the most, the, the looking after each other and seeing people through these ridiculous adventures they were on. And they were sleeping between zero and three hours a night uh, and doing ridiculous amounts of mileage every day on you know, stand-up paddle boards, trekking, walking, mountain biking, climbing 1,000-foot waterfalls. It's bonkers, but inspiring. What is it inspiring you? Is this sort of an exercise in how far we can stretch ourselves, how far we can go before we break? Just say a little bit more on on how you've been inspired by this. In what way? I think, uh, so the team that won it, and it's something actually we'll probably talk about, Ben, which is the 20-mile march, which is something that Jim Collins talks about. Now, these guys, five guys, they're all in their 40s, late 40s. They never got flustered. They took their time. They kept going. So what? at one point, they got to a waterfall, which is five-hour climb up a waterfall uh, at 1,000 feet in the middle of Fiji. They got to it at night. And did they stop and rest and, and, and tackle it in the morning? No. They got all their gear on and they tackled it straight away. They didn't stop for anything. And they just had this mindset, which was calm, collected, not flustered, supporting each other. It was beautiful to watch. These guys just kept going and they kind of crossed the line. The only bit I wondered is this sort of mindset of not getting flustered and not letting anything get to you and mind ever matter. It seemed to perhaps stop them a little bit on the emotional explosion when they crossed the line. So it reminded me of Brené Brown, who talks about you can't selectively suppress emotion. Uh, you know, if you suppress fear and vulnerability, you can you also suppress joy. And so it, 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 it reminded me a bit of this, being almost too in control of your mind and your mindset and what you where you peak and trough, maybe also suppress the sort of, outpouring of joy which I saw other teams who maybe struggled a bit more and had to really sort of coach each other across the line coming in 15th or 20th but they were jumping up and down you know and and sharing each other in champagne because they had done it. This year as you know I did a 300 kilometer 24 hour bike race partly on a peloton and partly on the road and I think one of the things about life you realize is actually we don't all explore how much we can do with our mind and our body and I think coming back to leadership which we will do that's a really important lesson for us and, and developing our people, developing ourselves and growing ourselves and growing our people. You know, it's, it's a, a really interesting area. Well, one of my favourite questions to ask and to be asked actually is, is what's possible? And often I'll work with a CEO, a leader, a team, and they're in the middle of something. And, and it could be a great question. Let, let's step back. What's possible here? Not what's practical, not what's within reach, what's possible and spend 20 minutes half an hour on that question and it quite often changes Mm. things and as i listen to you telling that story there one of the things they had uh was a different understanding of what's possible completely than than you or i would do 
yeah. uh, in, in that situation. Now, and it's not as simple as that, of course, because their understanding of, of what's possible is, is also built on a lot of experience and listening to mm. some of the backgrounds uh, you told us about there and built on a hell of a lot of preparation and yeah. Yeah. training. So these things yeah. also you know, influence what's possible, but it's a, it's a great question. So what about you? Quickly, quickly, um, before we get on to what caught my attention, you reminded me, um, Bear Grylls' autobiography called Mud, Sweat and Tears is a great book and quite surprising as well, his his story. There's a lot of grit and resilience and determination and mindsets. He broke his back skydiving. Um, how that accident happened happened in a really surprising way. He's also, and this really surprised me, I don't know why, but it did, he's a very spiritual person. Uh, and that's a big theme in the book uh, as well. So great book. Uh, mm. So what's caught my attention is is a jacket, actually. I, I, I It was my birthday uh, earlier in the summer. One of the things uh, I got was a jacket, which I love. And But what caught my attention, first time I unwrapped it and opened it up and held it up to look at, on the back of the jacket, the company, the, the clothing company, is a company called uh, Eco Alf, which is a portmanteau of Eco. And Alf is the, the name of the young child of the founder of the business, so Eco Alf. Uh-huh. When you read about them, this was an important moment in his life. He thought, what do I need to do for my son to make the world successful? So Eco Alf is how the company name came about. But on the back of the jacket is the company's vision and mission. That caused me to pause. You don't normally see the vision and mission uh, written on a bit of clothing. You and I, uh, we we both run workshops on vision mission. So I tend to notice them when I see them. And these two really sort of stopped me in my track a bit. Uh, The vision, stop using resources in a careless way. And the mission, create the first generation of recycled products with the same quality and design as the best of non-recycled. It's a lovely jacket. And my family, they knew that uh, I'd spotted this brand, Eco Alf, and they're ultra sustainable. And that's what had drawn me to it but when i saw that vision and mission that's i think they nailed it Mm, mm. i could really i want to be a part of that as a as a customer so lovely example i think but i'm assuming from what you said you weren't attracted to the the jacket or the company because of the vision and mission being so overtly stated, but you were aware a little bit of the the eco credentials, if you like. Yeah, I found them because of their sustainable right. credentials. And one of the things I'm working towards is being carbon neutral and then carbon negative, mm-hmm. uh, myself and my business and family. They're also a B Corp uh, business and corporations have got my interest at the moment they balance profits uh, and purpose and they're legally required to consider the impact of their decisions on their workers customers suppliers community and the environment i think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, idea and for it to be legally binding that's really got my my attention that's great what a lovely lovely thing to do and and uh, they're, they're putting themselves in a good place for the future aren't they i think so so much more of the population are going to be drawn to companies and brands like this and i think we're seeing more and more of them do well you know patagonia springs to mind as a brand that mm-hmm. a lot of people buy because of those eco 
credentials and, and, and I don't think you have to put profit above purpose as we've said before. That'll be another interesting question for us in a future episode. What does the future look like for any organisation? How quickly do we lean into an emerging trend? How do we get the timing right? Today, we're talking about under pressure or naked ambition, exploring how to drive a company. How does a leader apply a positive influence of forward pressure to the business but maybe let's start somewhere somewhere slightly different. What is this not about? Mm. It's, a, it's a great question to sort of turn things around, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> what's it not about? Well, I think one thing it's not about, certainly in my view, is uh, it's not just about the numbers. I think when we think of BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, we tend to think of a big number. Um, and... To me, a big number, whilst necessary, can be a real turnoff for many people in a business. It's absolutely vital that a senior management team get their heads around what that number is they're going for, whether it's a profit target or other KPIs underneath or a revenue target. And those two things aren't always mutually exclusive, but they tend to be one or the other that, that drives companies for a period of time. But But when you just put a number up there, it can be... A, it, you know, if it's if it's if it's millions, uh, people can't get their head around it. Well, how does that affect me? You know, I'm a I'm a driver. I'm an account manager. So, I, I think what has to come before a number is a very well articulated vision, purpose, mission. As you've said with your with your jacket company, I think you've mm. got to start there before you get to. A BHAG. And the BHAG, if it is a number, which often they are, um, I've worked with companies who say, what's your vision? And they tell me it's 50 million in five years time. So that's not a vision. That's a number. That doesn't inspire anyone. And so I think you've got to, you've got to understand that what inspires people is, is a, a vision is something you can visualize. Therefore, you've got to, you, it's got to be something that people can create an image around. That's why when you look back at Kennedy's amazing speech back in uh, 1962. 61. 61. Oh, May 25th, 1961. 61. You must be doing a, a podcast with a rocket scientist. No, no. Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking of Martin Luther King's talks and that of 63, I think. But... Um, <laughs> But um, so 61 is you're quite right, because then he said, we're going to land uh, a man on the moon and bring him safely back to the earth by the end of the decade, 1969. Um, but that you could visualize that you could sit there and you could say, do you know what? I can I can picture the moon. I can see the moon. I can visualize a rocket going out there. I can visualize the end goal. I can visualize the BHAG. I can be there is a vision here. Uh, and now I can work back from that. I can really feel excited about it. And that's part of why it worked. So, yeah, okay, so you've gone right in there and said it's not just about the numbers, and I agree with you. Let's just pause a moment and uh, explain BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. This is a concept from the book Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. The authors are Jim Collins and Jerry Porras, and they describe how important it is to have a vivid, emotive description of where the company is headed. 
And but one of the things you said along the way there is it it's got to come first. And and actually, I disagree, uh, Ian. I think particularly if we think about a startup, mm-hmm. uh, I think startup businesses they've got an idea. Mm-hmm. Generally, they don't have a vision. They've got an idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, to begin with, as we talked about last time, as I started a consulting team in London, it's about who's our first customer, who's the second, who's the third. There will definitely be a number. And, you know, those businesses, I think they can go quite a long way with, with incremental stretch. You know, let's, let's find our next three customers and then the three after that. Let's do, you know, an extra 15K this month. Let's do an extra million this year once they get a a little bit bigger you know the entrepreneur the founder is still at the center of those companies quite often it's a a band of brothers and sisters who share the inspiration for the business it's quite literally it's an emotive and and a felt thing actually i think they can go quite a a long distance before they need a, a vision and perhaps the moment at which that becomes useful and important to them is when you know, when that team gets quite a bit bigger and maybe not everybody is reporting into the founder, you know, somewhere around 15 or 20 people quite often. Somebody comes into the company who who wants a job rather than being inspired by what they feel and can infer to be uh, a mission. You know, then, then I think that's the point where where vision can begin to kick in I would begin to question if it's not if it's not there and visible. So mm. quite often, I don't think it needs to come first. Mm. I guess EcoAlf having caught my attention is the exception that that proves the rule. Actually, I don't know whether that vision existed on day one or not, but they're all about that vision. So if you're really going to build the company, a very very purposeful company, then the sooner the better. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I think I think startups um have got an idea and i think the best ideas are built around a purpose so i think they can start with a purpose you know this is this is why i'm creating this company i want to do good in the world or you know i want to create sustainable clothing or um but uh, uh, and then for a while people will be attracted purely by the purpose and that in itself provides uh, a form of decision filtering for what you do because you're not going to do, you're not going to make clothing that doesn't have certain qualities about it. Um, you're not going to sell to maybe certain customer groups and so on. And that's where a purpose becomes really useful beyond just an emotional tie to to a business. But I think the the key is, and where do you? And this is the, all about the growth of SMEs, isn't it? Where do you bring in certain systems, processes, tools, techniques? Bring them in at the wrong time. You over bureaucratize it. Uh, you slow it down, uh, you don't need it, bring it in too late and you start going in too many different directions at once. So I think to me, uh, with my pragmatic hat on, which I see as a large part of me, is a vision provides something that holds that whole team accountable to what they're doing the following day. So when you sit down and create your annual plans, and probably at 10 people, you, you do that on the you know back of a cigarette packet down the pub. But when you're 20 and you're turning over above a million and you're starting to do different jobs and you've got different roles and you're thinking about different customer groups and you're thinking about potentially different markets and you're thinking about potentially different products and services, 
you've got to have real alignment in that business. And you can't get that real alignment unless you know what you're aiming at, because the, the, clearly the alignment, it can't be there. So that's when I think a very well articulated vision, and I'm talking about a vivid vision, uh, um, like Cameron Harold talked about in his book of the same title, Vivid Vision, uh, allows you to say, if that's where we're going, what should we do next year? Um, therefore, I think it is, as you say, you don't need it when you're, when you're a few people in a room because you're driven by a certain purpose, a certain idea. But when you get to a certain point, you definitely do. Yes. And let's not get stuck on this. I think sometimes that's purpose. Sometimes that's vision. Sometimes that's strategy. Different companies answer this in different ways and in different orders. But along the way there, we talked about one of the alternatives uh, to, to big, hairy, audacious goals. And I guess we should say that Jim Collins, Jerry Porras, you know, built the last subtitle of that book, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies. Not every company has to be uh, visionary. Um, one of the other approach is incremental stretch. Mm, mm. When I work with leadership teams or top management teams, I quite often ask them, tell me about some of the moments when this team has been at its best. Mm. And, and very often uh, you hear something like, well, when this happened, when this crisis happened. So I'm sure in years to come, we're going to hear, you know, when COVID-19 arrived, the team really pulled together, really cohesive. We made some great decisions. We were really inventive, innovative. We had a good pace through that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we quite often, you know, the answer is quite often these moments where the stretch on the team suddenly went through the roof because of some external event. And then, you know, once I've heard one or two of these stories, and, you know, normally there's there's actually there's two or three during the life of the team that they'll quickly tell you about. You know, I might say, well, great, and I've understood a bit from that, but but what about in between those times? You know, this is a successful company. You've, you've grown consistently through a number of years. What was driving that? And... And quite often, they find it a little bit harder to put their finger on it unless they trot out a strong purpose or vision. Mm. And what emerges is actually incremental growth. You know, they might say, well, every year we aim to do 10% more revenue than the year before. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a way, it's very unexciting. It's quite mm. simple. But if you think about it, 10% one year, another 10% the next year, and so on, mm. and particularly if it's 15 or 20%, mm. actually, you start to drive some very real growth. And over a period of time, that's quite relentless. And it's quite a pressure on the business. And I think lots of companies, family businesses quite often grow in this way, this constant incremental stretch. Isn't that a bit boring, though, for people in the business just to say, you know, we did 10% last year, we're going to do 10% next year? It's how a lot of companies grow. And how do you motivate people by that kind of coming out at the beginning of January 1, you're having your big town hall meeting, you've done 10% and you say, do you know what, guys, we've been, we've been off on our away days in December, the management team have got together, we've had a fantastic time, two days away in a hotel, we're on fire for this next year and guess what, we're going to do another 10%. Who says that this needs to be the motivating thing? It's one of the ways businesses grow. Whilst we're on these big, hairy, audacious goal, some people don't like that term, by the way. So let's just say big stretching <laughs> goal um, yeah. uh, or, or incremental stretch. You gave the example of 
JFK and his speech, let's send a man safely to the moon before the end of the decade, bring him back again. Yeah. And you're right, that's emotive, it's vivid, you can visualise it, but it doesn't make an awful lot of sense if you're not a, a nation state and you haven't got a nation state's worth of resources to put behind that. So I think we've got to be super careful with these you know, there's a time and a place you could scare the wits out of an organisation with a big, hairy, audacious goal if you're unable also to create conditions for success, one of which is you've got to be able to put the resource behind that goal. So they definitely have a moment in my mind, you know, and that's another argument for incremental growth. If, we, if mm-hmm. we're in a period where we don't have a ton of resource, mm-hmm. which might be as simple as money, But it could also be that we're still a small team. There's only so much time to go about. Then incremental stretch might be the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great subject. Uh, To me, there is a there's there's I come back to this piece about energy and excitement and wanting to get out of bed in the morning and wanting to get inspired by the business I'm working for. And I agree that's not always the motive for a lot of people. You know, they, it's not right to sit there in a business and say, we grew last year, therefore we should grow next year. You know, question it. What, why are you growing? What, 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 you know, you could argue, well, you'll just go backwards if you won't grow. So you have to be very, I think my point is you have to be very clear on why you're growing. What do you want to be? Why, why are you growing? I mean, I always think, ask the basic question. If it's revenue growth, why is it revenue growth? If it's profit, why is it profit? So you have to figure out what it is. But I think you're right in a way that, you know, um, put a man on the moon, bring back safe, safe to the earth in nine years time was uh, you had the power of a nation behind it. You had loads of resources behind it. But nevertheless, do you think NASA knew how to do it then? No, no, no chance. They must have had kittens. They had no capacity or capability to put a man on the moon in 1961. No way. So, but what did that do to them? And this is where organizations and people can take great example from this is that it meant they had to go away and figure it out. And I think this is the key for me of getting getting a team excited in an organization is to say not, okay, it was a hard, it was a hard year last year. We did 10%. Aren't we good? I think we'll do 10% this year. Now, I'm not sure unless I was working for a purpose-driven company and I really bought into the purpose, I'd, I'd really be excited by that. But if I was in a meeting where somebody came in and said, look, what would we have to do to grow by 50%? And by the way, that means giving our customers more of what they're looking for because we're purpose-driven and we create amazing clothing that's all eco-sustainable, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think the danger is with all these, these questions is we throw one out and say it's all about the other. And of course, it's not really. I, you know, if I'm coming around in a full circle here, I would say a great company can have a, a, a really big goal a really big vision that will get people excited. But in order to get there, you need to have incremental stretch every day. Because there, if you say to people, and I go back to this wonderful quote that I love, which is from Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who was, she was the president of Liberia, the first woman who was elected to an African nation. And she said, the size of your dreams 
must always exceed your current capacity to achieve them. And and I love the quote. It's one that I use with teams uh, as well. I probably nicked it from you. I'm sure I did. One part of this is that our people should leap out of bed in the morning and say, hell yeah, this is where I work and I can't wait to get there. Absolutely. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't drive for that? But that's not to say that incremental stretch is invalid. There's a lot of ways to create that excitement in the business. Just as a complete aside, uh, the real story about sending a man to the moon by the end of the decade was about catching up and overtaking the Soviet Union in the, in the midst of the Cold War. So there was an external threat, enemy at play there as well. We're 10 minutes into this question, probably further, and we've not actually asked answered the question which we asked, which is, what, what is this not about? We know it, it, it's about inspiring and exciting our people. It's about somehow setting out the progress that we expect to make. What's it not about? It's not about smart goals for me. And you don't have to Google far to come up with smart goals don't work. That's incorrect, by the way. Smart goals do work. They're a perfect way of uh, structuring planned progress. Yeah, and this is something I do personally. It's something I do with uh-huh. most of the people I, I work with. And, you know, we're recording this in the middle of September. Uh-huh. And I know that I've had lots of conversations recently. What's your plan progress between now and the year end towards uh-huh. where you're going? Yeah. And for plan progress, I don't tend to use the acronym SMART, but for plan progress, a SMART goal is, is great. But for our exploration of how to drive a company and you know i think we're improving the question already you know, we're really asking about how do we generate forward motion and energy and progress in the business that's not about smart goals that's about something that has more qualities to it yeah i think it's interesting the smart goals thing because i agree you know i think a form of smart goals and there are very there are various versions of the acronym as well um mm. You, you, you know, uh, uh, and uh, and one of those versions says specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time bound. Now, if you think of, uh, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals and incremental stretch, then achievable, and me- uh, sorry, achievable and realistic don't really fit in there to some extent, because actually what, as soon as you put achievable, you start conflicting with the great quotes, which says, you know, always exceed your current capacity to achieve them. I think there's a danger there that when you set something that's achievable, so if I had set my 300K in 24 hours as 100K in 24 hours, that was thoroughly achievable because I knew I could achieve it. I didn't know I could achieve 300K in 24 hours. And NASA didn't know they could put a man on the moon. And Southwest Airlines, their vision uh, is to become the world's most loved, most flown and most profitable airline. And you have to put really strong KPIs behind that and you have to really stretch to achieve that, and they are an incredible airline. Obviously, now they're suffering like everyone else, but before COVID, they had really gone a long way. So I think there's a danger in the words realistic and achievable if you're trying to move people out of their comfort zone, you're trying to get people to stretch and grow and get excitement and energy, and you're putting a vision up there. Um, because there, there is a danger with SMART, if you're using that acronym, that you make it a bit too comfortable. Well, let's park the topic by saying SMART goals are great for planning and being confident in the progress we want to make 
this month, this quarter. Absolutely. So let's let's park it that way. But smart goals uh, are not going to get us to where we want to be this time next year uh, or in three years' time. Let, let's park some, some other things uh, as well. You said early on it's not just about the number. So, you know, this is about the profit motive. And the profit motive exists in every organization, whether it's a for-profit or a not-profit organization. I'm a charity trustee. They're very much about driving the biggest number they can. When we look at the cost of running the organization, they're not aiming to make a a surplus is the word they would use. They're definitely not aiming to have a deficit though. So they're just as tight on, on the numbers. So, you know, the profit motive it's important in every type of organization. Yeah, and and I guess my counterpoint to what you said, Ian, is you know, that big number mm. that is going to inspire and motivate a section of the workforce. You look at uh, sales teams, lots of sales sales teams are populated uh, by people who one of the things they enjoy and motivated by is chasing the number. Yeah. The thing about the number though is it will motivate some of the organization. It's not going to motivate all of the organization. And that, for me, is why we need some of these other things that we're opening up in, in this conversation. And if I could pull out one other thing that we've that we've mentioned, it's this idea that whatever we do, whether it's a an emotive vision, big, hairy, audacious goal, whether it's a purpose, uh, a brilliant set of values. We've not talked about values, and I'm not going to let you talk about values this episode, otherwise we won't stop. Oh, Whatever we choose to do, one of the things that we absolutely must have in the organisation is all of our people saying, how are we going to do that? That's a brilliant question. How are we going to do that? You know, whether it's incremental growth and next year is 10%, if that 10% provokes a question, how are we going to do that? then it's working. Yeah. If the purpose or uh, the audacious goal provokes a question, how are we going to do that? Mm. It's working. So that, for me, is an essential. Yeah, I th- I, you know, you're, you, of course you're right. And uh, I think the, the slight uh, point we'll agree to disagree on is that, um, y- you know, you mentioned the sales teams are motivated by, by the number. Uh, I think Partly motivated by the number. Okay, partly. I think, uh, I think, yeah, they are, but they're motivated by their number, and they're motivated perhaps by the 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 team's number, uh, and of course that's all tied up with the incentive plans and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and they, but they may not be motivated by the, you know, if it, if a company's turning over a hundred million. Uh, and their target is a million and a half, they're more concerned with a million and a half, in my experience, than 100 million. Because they can't influence. It's outside their control what the guy next to them does. And and this comes back to incentives and teamwork and all the things we spend a lot of time doing in organizations to try and make sure that all these things are aligned. Um, But... uh, you know, you need both. You need big, you, you, you need the numbers because some people are much more left brain than others. You need the vision and the purpose because some people want to work for a business like that. Ideally, you have all these things in place and you're going to motiv- you have the best chance of motivating all your people. Let me turn to Volvo, Volvo cars. Hmm. Um, 
they've got a great vision. They've got a vision that caught my attention, aiming for zero. They rolled this out in 2008. And what they mean by that is nobody should be seriously injured or killed in a new Volvo car. Wow. It's great, isn't it? It's great. Now I I can see how that's a a decision filter uh, across the organization. I can also see how that may or may not motivate uh, their their salespeople, Um, but it's going to motivate a lot of the organization. It definitely is going to motivate some of their potential customers and their, their loyal customers. Another one, Elon Musk. This is, you know, right in your space, uh, Ian, as you you love the JFK example. So what Elon Musk says is you want to wake up in the morning and think the future is going to be great. And that's what being a spacefaring civilization is all about. And their vision is to make humanity multi-planetary, which I think is, you know, that's even more stretching than put a man on the moon, even if we allow for the progress that has come between 1961 and this decade. I think he nails it. You want to wake up in the morning and think the future is going to be great. That, I think, is a nice articulation of what you were saying about we want people to to spring out of of bed. Of course, we want to attract the right people into the organisation. And part of that is them waking up and knowing that working where they do the future is going to be great. Mm. Yeah, I mean, those two are very inspiring, aren't they? Uh, you know, the Volvo one um, is 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 brilliant because you know they've they've encapsulated so many things in that in that phrase, in that in that goal, in that in that vision. They put a number in there for a start, which you know, uh, which is great. But they've, it's an emotional number. That's the facet. You know, could there be an emotional number? Volvo have done it. You know, that's great, isn't it? Because you could get emotionally tied into that. Uh, and as you said earlier, you'd say, well, how do we do that? And that's the, that's the great thing about setting these visions for people is to say, here we are. We want to we want to be like that. And the leader walks in and says that and you go, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? And already you're thinking, crikey, that's scary. Um, and before you've finished panicking the leader is saying right we're gonna we're gonna get you in teams over the coming months we're gonna figure out how we're gonna do this and Mm. that's totally engaging and that's what Mm. you do with your people you want to engage them in the answer and as we know great leaders asks ask great questions and by asking the great question you and you engage them in the answer they're going to own the outcome yeah well let me pick you up on a, a tiny bit of that if people are thinking that's going to be scary, then I think as leaders, we've not done our done our job well. They should feel secure enough and part of a, uh, a team and the vision should have been positioned in a way that uh, it provokes that question, how are we going to do that? You know, I want to be a part of that. That's worth doing. How are we going to do it? Rather than being scary or frightening. But what's this really about? We started with how does a leader apply positive pressure to a company we got to you know how does a leader generate uh, forward motion and energy in the company that's closer for me i think what this is really about is engagement how are we going to engage uh, our employees our potential employees our customers how are we going to disengage the ones we don't want it's about engagement one of my go-to models is maslow's hierarchy of needs the pyramid of five needs 
that any individual, any person has and needs to satisfy in order to, to thrive. It's a pyramid. These needs stack on top of each other. And at the base, we have physiological needs and then safety and security. And the middle need is love and belonging in our context, being part of a great team. And then we have the top two needs, esteem and self-actualization. And this, I think, is where our conversation has taken us today. This sense that I'm part of something really worthwhile. You know, that's the the leaping out of bed in the morning that that you mentioned earlier. Ian, I'm part of something that really counts here. I count and what we're doing counts. More than that, the organization and me, we're being as much as we can be. We couldn't do more. Yeah, this really, this really counts. And Volvo with their aim for zero. Yeah, I can see that. I can see people being motivated. Uh, Nobody will die in a new Volvo vehicle. It counts. I'm a part of that. It counts. And in achieving that, Volvo is being everything it can be. So I think what this is really about is engagement, engagement at that type of level. Mm. I I, I completely agree. Engagement is massively about engagement. A couple of things I'll push back on. Um, scary is good. And I say this because it's good for, for a while and it's not something, um, that we should shy away from. So, uh, and let's face it, this is all about labeling. Uh, when I signed up to do a TEDx talk, believe you me, I was scared for a while. And then that, that, that got relabeled as excitement. And so I don't see any harm in a little bit of, oh my God, oh, because you're going to, you're going to, re- if you're, if you can, if you can push that into excitement, that's a massive positive energy for you. So, so I don't think we should shy away from announcing something that would make our people feel a little bit scared for a while. As long as we realize our job eventually is to make it a safe place for them. So I, I, I push back on that a little bit. The other thing is, um, it, it, what you were saying reminded me completely of, uh, you know, those seven most powerful words a leader can ask his, uh, can say to his people. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Because um, that's that's engagement. That and that's not because the leader doesn't doesn't know necessarily, although they might not know. Um, but that's because it, it forces our people to think and to say, well, what do I think, and how could I come up with the answer here? Because when they come up with the answer, it's their answer not the leader's answer. It's so, so important, which also then leads me on to David Marquet and intent-based leadership and turn the ship around, which is what's your intention and intent-based leadership, which is, which is all the same thing behind how do we get people to take ownership, to get engaged with it, to see it as theirs, and to line that up with following this vision that we started with, this exploration of driving a company to that next level. I don't know. What do you think is is definitely one of my go-to sentences as an MD. It's super effective. We should come back to that in another episode because I think it takes a bit of unpacking. So we're saying that this is really about engagement, engaging our, our people, 
um, engaging our customers and prospective customers, our markets as well, Ian? Yeah. Oh, I think it's, well, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a danger in organizations that we look as we look at customers as, as something outside our organization, you know, they, they, we should embrace them. We should bring them in. We should say, what do you think? What should we, what would you like? You know, we should have conversations with them. They, we should, we should bring them into our businesses much more than we ever do. And I think that's where organizations go wrong because they don't do that. They just say, you're the guys who buy stuff from us. No, no, no. What do you want? How should we develop stuff for you? You know, mm, you're, okay. you're a customer for this new company uh, about this jacket. You know, they would love to hear you saying, I bought this jacket because of this, this and this. Wow. That's what they need. They need more of that. So I think, you know, the whole value chain, uh, you know, I was recently looking at um, Porter's Five Forces, you know, and all the all the different uh, aspects of looking at where power lies in that relationship. But of course, part of the other way of looking at that that model is to say, what great relationships have we got with all those? You know, our suppliers, our partners, our, our our shareholders, our customers. We need really deep relationships with these guys, and we ought to be asking them similar questions. I'd go further with that. It's about customers, potential customers, and shareholders, investors even. Let's go mm. there as well. Mm. It's not about bringing them into the organization. It's about them wanting to be a part of it. When we've got this right, they want to be a part of the organization. Mm-hmm. One final piece to tease out here. We've described this is not just about progress. This is about however we do it seeing that we do bring around those step change moments, those moments of inventiveness, refreshing the organization, stepping up a level as well, those innovations, those things that we've answered that otherwise we might not not have done. So whatever approach we want to drive continual improvement, but we also want to see some step changes as well. I think it's a good summary, and I'm looking for the question in there, Ben. <laughs> but I think... yeah, no, deliberately didn't phrase it as a question, no, Ian. No, but I think uh, I, you know, I think I think there's always a danger. I remember an old Swedish um, CEO of mine. Uh, I was the group CEO when I was in Salome, and uh, he used to say to me, "When you announce anything that's really difficult for the organisation." In the same sentence, you should announce something that's really good for the organisation. Uh, and there was a Swedish there was a Swedish word for this, and maybe one of our listeners will tell us what that phrase is. Um, but it, it it was one of those ones I went and reflected. I thought, yeah, of course he's right. And I think there's always a danger in any of these things to think, well, it's one or the other, you know. And um, I think in most of these questions, uh, there's room for both. And uh, we do need to have numbers. We need to have visionary examples. We do need BHAGs. We do need int- incremental growth. Um, we do need smart goals um, for certain things and for certain things that don't work that well. So I think one of the jobs of leadership is to understand when you bring these things in, why you use them, how to use them, and who, who's going to use them. Uh, um, because we, we, you know, we, 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 at our peril, we, we, we make black and white choices and say, it's not this and it's only ever that. Okay, Ian, we've, we've had quite a long conversation and covered tons of ground. So rather than a complete wrap up, what's, what's the one thing, Ian, what's the one thing for you that you're going to take 
I think uh, the thing that's dawned on me as we've gone along was something you said, Ben, which was about, this is about engagement. And I think we always have to start with the end in mind. So if we are thinking about, you know, a BHAG, how to drive a business forward, uh, you can't drive a business forward on your, on your own. It, 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 it's not just about the leadership team. It's about everyone in the business being involved, engaged, and and therefore you have to look at your business. And as we said a minute ago, you have to look at your suppliers, partners, shareholders, and all the rest and say, how do we engage these people in the business? So is it about a, a big number? Is it about a vision? Is it about a purpose? Is it about incremental stretch goals? More than likely, it's going to be you know, a bit of a menu-driven approach, and it's going to be bits of those which you're going to draw together in the best way possible to drive our businesses forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm similar. For me, Ian, creating this sense of forward motion, progress, ambition, pace in the company, it's complex. It takes a mixture of vision, purpose, mission, values, strategy, targets, goals, all the things we've we've been talking about. It takes leadership. Uh, this is a task of the, the person and the team at the center of the company. When we get that right, it creates excitement, not fear, excitement. And the question, the beautiful question, how are we going to do that? Hearing our people, our teams asking how are we going to do that is fantastic. It tells us that we've got them, got them engaged. And that's the second point, engagement. In fact, I'm going to use a different word, desire. When we get this right, we create desire. Desire amongst our, our customers, prospective customers, tomorrow's customers, our markets, our people, our teams, both today and those people that might join in months and years to come. Everybody, it's about creating a desire in everybody involved, a desire to be part of what we're doing. When we get this right, they want to be a part of what we're doing. I love that word, desire. <laughs> well, on that note, thanks, Ian. I've enjoyed this conversation. As ever, we unpack it. It turns out to be bigger, more complex, more interesting than perhaps we had guessed. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks for failure is not an option. I can't wait for that one, Ben. See you back here. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gritty Leaders Club. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and join the club. If you'd like to ask a question or offer an opinion or even suggest a guest, please get in touch with Ian at ianwindle.com or Ben at benwales.com. We'd love you to join our club and tell us what you think.